welcome back to Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where myself, Ash, and my co-host, Lore, host a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. In today's episode, Neurodivergencies in Jewish Mental Health, we will be covering the experience of being neurodivergent, specifically in the realm of ADHD and OCD, and how that intersects with our Jewishness. We do have an incredible guest joining us, and of course, we can't wait to hear if anyone else out there has some comments or experiences to share when we reach the open call portion of the pod. And a content warning for today, as always, this topic may lend itself to some triggering information, specifically as we talk about our personal experiences. So please be cognizant of your well-being and take a break if you need to, or just don't listen if that feels better as well. And please remember that this podcast does not take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider. Please reach out to professionals if you need support. Beautiful. Jingle. Soft and cozy space to Ashley. I sometimes go by Ash. My pronouns are they, she, which is new, so please take note. (laughs) And I am an eating disorder and trauma therapist who specializes in weight stigma and the Jewish community. I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma and abuse, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and for fat positivity and body liberation. And I'm Laura Plowker. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. So... Let's dive in. This is a big topic that I know has a lot of personal connections for us both. Um, Ash, how are you feeling going into this conversation? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm excited to talk about this. You know, I think that neurodivergency is, of course, a very large umbrella. And so today we wanted to focus specifically on ADHD and OCD. And actually, um, our guest for our OCD portion wasn't able to make it to today. So depending on how things go, we may only cover ADHD today and leave OCD for another day. Um, But also, I do have personal experience with both. So I will be probably talking in that capacity about it. Uh, And I also think that there's a really big opportunity to talk about the intersection of OCD and ADHD with the Jewish experience. Um, there's, you know, a couple of different things I have on my mind that I'd like to sort of dive in with that um, when when we get there. But yeah, otherwise, um, you know, I'm feeling pretty good and I'm ready to sort of, you know, dig in with our guests and, and whoever else pops on with us. Yeah, I mean, I think you said a lot. I think that um, <laughs> there's so much about living as a neurodivergent person, um, which I know we both do. And I want to um, just really quickly define neurodivergency. Um, 
Neurodivergency is differing in mental or neurological function from what's considered like typical or normal. Its antonym would be neurotypical. Um, so a lot of people who are neurodivergent will use this term to describe themselves and use neurotypical to describe people who have neurological function that is considered in line with what is quote unquote normal, which, you know, I have my own feelings about the word normal, but absolutely. I digress. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and thank you as always, Laura, for having definitions at the ready, because I always forget that. <laughs> so I, I think it's a, of course, I think that it's, you know, it's something that I so appreciate. Um, you know, I'm new, I'm coming out of the education field and still I'm sort of within it, but I'm coming out of the classroom professionally and into mental health professionally. And I'm surrounded every day by people with clinical domain expertise and public health backgrounds. And I don't have clinical expertise or a public health background. So something I have found myself doing a lot um, just in the context of my day job is um, making sure I understand the words that are being used in a conversation. And I think because you and I have so many parallels across our lived experiences, um, we have a pretty wide lexicon between the two of us of words that we're using in conversation, but I want to make sure that we're always leaving this space accessible to um, people who might just be joining the conversation on this topic for the first time. So when I try to provide a definition, it's fully with that accessibility piece in mind. Absolutely. And you always have such beautiful definitions, like your definition of Zionism last week, I was like, oh, great. It's so good. <laughs> and that's like a hard thing to nugget, you know, like. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think that one in particular, I feel like I've had to say it so many times right. as a means of defending it because it's a word that has taken on um, so many different definitions from what it actually means um, across uh, as it's appropriated and used and misused across a lot of different platforms and positions. So that's one where I feel like I almost have that saved in my head as a soundbite, which um, it's its own issue, I think. <laughs> Possibly, but now it's a literal soundbite and I cut it out and everything. Hey. It's good. <laughs> All right. So um, one of the things that I definitely want to touch on before uh, we get to our guest portion, uh, we have lovely Aletta coming on to join us to talk about ADHD specifically. Um, but I did also want to, to share a couple of things in terms of how I feel the Jewish experience may intersect with these disorders. Um, so the research does suggest that Jews as a community have a higher precedence of ADHD. Uh, and we also have a cultural predisposition to certain uh, symptoms that we often associate with ADHD. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this lore, but uh, it, it's something called overlapping speech, to, something to that effect. That's probably not mm -hmm. the right term. But so what a common symptom for people with ADHD is, is um, interrupting, struggling to wait until it's your turn to speak or 
um, struggling to respond to what somebody else is saying instead of sort of sharing what's in your own mind. I struggle a lot with this. It was probably one of the first symptoms that like I looked back in my childhood and I was like, how did nobody catch this? I got in trouble so much for calling out, like so much, Mm. but it's fine. No one knew I had ADHD. It's all good. But in any case, so culturally, Jews have a tendency to overlap their speech with one another. And it's a sign of um, not uh, rudeness, as is often thought of in, in sort of Western society when we interrupt one another, but as a sign of interest and invigoration in the conversation. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think sometimes because Jews have a natural cultural tendency to engage in that, it almost becomes like a masking because everyone around you is doing it. So it doesn't seem abnormal, but like it's not normal. That's or normative. I should say normative because we don't like the word normal here. But it, it's, it's right. It, yeah. <laughs> but right. So so and I think that's fascinating. Um, the other thing with OCD that I find really interesting, um, as I've been doing a lot more clinical work with OCD, what I have begun to hypothesize is that OCD is an outgrowth of trauma in the sense that much of OCD is a way of organizing the world into safe and unsafe. It allows us to have a split second where we, uh, you know, apprise a situation and say, okay, this path is going to lead to safety and this path is dangerous. And I think for Jews in particular, with a history of, you know, dispossession, violence, discrimination, um, pogroms, like all of these things, right? It has become not only just a, you know, a biological imperative of being alive to survive, but a biological imperative for the Jewish community to be able to immediately assess danger. And so I think, again, it's almost like it's a cultural norm to assess danger. And so OCD symptoms are missed completely because it just seems like the normal thing to do and be. You said some huge things I said on both right topics. There. You I said, said some <laughs> huge things. So I want to make sure that we're allocating time to really talk through each one. I think um, the term I think that you were looking for in your first um, mm-hmm piece that you noted with more specific regard to ADHD, but not isolated to ADHD, is um, cooperative overlapping or high yes. involvement cooperative overlapping. This is something I... With I'm, the terms, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is something that I, I really resonate with. And something I said to Ash off camera while we were um, prepping for this episode was that I do not have formal diagnoses of ADHD or OCD um, and that I was, you know, we discussed whether I should be taking a back seat in this conversation, which was my inclination. My professional background is as a special educator. So I um, try really hard to ensure that the voices leading any conversation about a marginalized identity are led by people who experience that reality. Um, and I am also aware that you don't need to have a formal diagnosis of something to understand certain experiences, um, if they are your lived experiences. So, um, that's just sort of where I want to name that that's where I'm coming into this space with and, um, 
stay cognizant of how much space I am taking in this conversation today, but also jump in on the pieces where I feel like that that my voice that my voice is uplifting something. And as it comes to high involvement cooperative overlapping, um, I think there's an even greater conversation to be had surrounding Jewish conversation style um, and how that plays in and also what that might look like from an outside perspective that I know historically, you know, I mean, Ash said right away, um, you know, I got in so much trouble for interrupting and just as a child and in school settings. And there is a cultural piece to this Jewish conversational style um, that's been noted by linguists. And I didn't know about it until just recently. I didn't know there was a name. I think there was a TikTok that went viral Same. about this. Yes. That was the first way. Literally. And then I looked into it and I was like, oh my goodness, people have written about this. I Ooh. feel seen. My yeah. sister and I had a conversation about it. And I think about the inclination, how it might feel for people who are not as familiar with that conversation style, maybe because they aren't Jewish. Um, could it feel like one-upping? Could it feel mm. like, you know, when I feel like I'm relating, um, no. something that's come up in past relationships and just sure. friendships has been... Um, you know, I was still talking about my thing. Right. And for me, it was like, oh, well, this was fully me hearing you talk about your thing. I was trying to let you know that I understand and that I empathize, um, you know, that uh, from and, and how I've experienced something that might allow me to empathize. So I wanted to make you aware of that. And it was in that cooperative overlapping style. So right. Um, for me, that could feel very natural, but for somebody else, it might not. And it's so interesting to me as I was listening to you speak um, about the additional layer of um, ADHD and processing speed and that output speed in a conversation and how your brain works. And as I... Um, I just think there's so much to what you said that we could probably spend hours unpacking. Um, and I think that's Definitely. a really beautiful thing and why this pod exists. Um, I also want to make sure that we give um, space to that conversation about OCD as an intergenerational trauma response and as something that um, could really exist um, and not be talked about very much. So I, I thank you for voicing that in the lens of your own lived experience. I am definitely really interested um, to bring Aletta into the conversation and hear um, what she has to say about ADHD and just neurodivergency in general. Um, and I think that we can move towards that portion of the pod. I think that we have a lot of really great topics that we're going to address tonight, and I'm excited to have additional perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, you also touched on the issue of diagnosis, and I, I'm hoping that mm -hmm. we'll explore that as well, um, because A, it's challenging, B, it's complicated, and C, there's a lot to unpack. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, um, let us shift to the call-in portion of the show. Uh, and actually, exciting news that Colin is not only yeah. available <laughs> on Apple devices, but it is also available 
on Android. And there is also a new desktop uh, website available as well that I think actually has full integration in terms of being able to call in, which is new. Um, Also, the podcast will soon be available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That hopefully will be rolling out within the next month. Um, But we'll keep you updated about that. In order to call in... That's <laughs> very exciting. We're so excited. We're very excited. <laughs> we got this information today. We are so excited because from the get-go, we've just been um, having conversations about like, oh, I want to listen to this, but I don't have an iPhone. And, you know, we just really have been excited and in constant communication with the people at Call In who have been wonderful about um, giving us just timelines and updates for when we can expect that wider accessibility of the app. And we've been loving this app so far. So I am very excited for Android users to have that experience. Yes. Uh, So yeah, so in order to call in, uh, you just have to request on the episode live page and you can also leave comments. So please let us know uh, if you're having any tech issues and we can try to assist, although neither of us are tech people. So no problem. (laughs) We'll do our best. So before we open the call-in portion up to everyone, let us give a warm welcome to tonight's guest, Aletta. Uh, I am going to read out Aletta's um, intro, but I'm also going to let Aletta in first. So Aletta, I'm just going to, I'm going to introduce you and then you can totally take your own intro. All right. Uh, Invite to speak. So Aletta. Aletta Storch is an anti-diet dietitian, therapist, and certified body trust provider who uses an anti-diet and weight-inclusive approach to provide nutrition support for folks with a history of dieting, disordered eating, and she specializes in working with ADHDers, which is why she's here today. Her work is centered around helping folks move away from diet culture and instead develop an intuitive, trusting, and compassionate relationship with food and movement. So welcome, Aletta. Uh, Laura, would you like to welcome Aletta to the show and give her an opportunity to introduce herself? Absolutely. Hi, Aletta. Hi. And sorry, it's Alita. Um, oh, very, I'm very so common sorry. mispronounced. Thank you so much. No, mispronunciation. It happens all the time. Uh, Alita. Hi. I'm excited Alita. to be here. Awesome. We're so excited <laughs> to have you on, and thank you for correcting the pronunciation of your no name. Way. I think in this virtual world, it is so challenging like I know I use a preferred name and I am constantly correcting people and that's its own emotional labor but then like I've noticed that I'm coming into spaces with people for the first time and have not had the opportunity to hear them say their own names and that's such an interesting experience but I really appreciate you making that correction for us Alita Um, yeah of course And thank you for coming on to Fetching on the Couch and just being willing to lend us your insight tonight and lend us your voice. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I feel like this is such an interesting um, approach to to kind of like looking at mental health and, and having some of these conversations and it's not being done anywhere else. So I'm excited to be a part of this. I think you just, uh, I think you just pulled on all of Ash's heartstrings all at the same time Aww. because that was, <laughs> this, this podcast is her, is their brainchild. And like, that was the goal in creating this space was to take an approach to really complex and nuanced topics that just 
doesn't seem to be happening in other places. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Ash, I hope that was really gratifying for you to hear, because if it was gratifying <laughs> for me, I can't imagine how it felt for you. Alita, I just want to check in as we um, dive into conversations and topics that can be what we've already spoken about thus far this episode or just anything coming up for you. But how are you doing? How are you coming into this space with us tonight? Um, I'm doing pretty good. End of a long week. Um, been a kind of week, tired. It? It, yeah. it has. It has. But I appreciate, yeah, just being able to like, have a conversation and not be looking at the Zoom screen. Um, so that mm -hmm. feels good. <laughs> well, I love that for you. Um, I think something that I would really love for us to talk about because it's not, I, I don't often have the opportunity as a um, non-clinician to be in a conversation space with multiple clinicians at the same time. I say that, but it is quite literally the nature of my job, but we're not talking about these things <laughs> at my job. Um, yes, the nature of my job is that I am often in a space with multiple clinicians at the same time, but I'm not always, I don't always have free reign of conversations. So I would love for us to um, spend some time discussing just the issue of diagnosis, self-diagnosis versus clinical diagnosis and the um, feelings of validity that that can bring to an individual or to disability identity as a whole. And I, I mm -hmm. just would really love, I mean, Ash, if you want to take us into this topic, because I know we've spent time off, off camera and off mic talking about this, I think you might be able to really steer us in um, the right direction. And I, I think, I mean, I think what you said right there, Laura, is great. And I'd love to hear Alita's uh, thoughts on it. And I think also what we were talking about off mic is just how complicated it is, right? Because on the mm -hmm. one hand, it can be really validating. It can connect you with community. It can connect you with resources. But it also can put you into a box in a way that doesn't feel good. Um, and mm -hmm. so, you know, especially as someone, you know, who identifies as neurodivergent, which is, you know, by definition, sort of being outside the quote unquote norm, being put in a box is maybe the opposite of what I want, maybe. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, it does help because it's like, oh, I can look at my past and say, Ash, you called out a lot because you don't have any impulse control. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Alita. Yeah, um, I love that you shared that. I had actually written down like a few ways that... Um, I, I've started to notice that overlap between Jewishness and ADHD. And the first thing I have written down is introjection. Yep. Um, mm. But yeah, interrupting. It's mm -hmm. very, very normalized. Um, and yeah, I used to think it was sort of just something um, familial and, and have mm -hmm. since realized like my dad has ADHD as well. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's been helpful to just recognize that. Um, when you're talking about diagnosis, I might be going on a little bit of a tangent, so I apologize. You're uh, welcome. Too. That's why we. That's why we welcome people onto yeah. the pod. It's because we okay. want those tangents. I love it. I have so many thoughts swirling around. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think about like re um, rejection sensitive dysphoria, yes. RSV, right, and how yes. that's such a big thing for for folks with neurodivergence, and I. I found in my community, um, so my, 
I'm from New Mexico. I didn't grow up with a lot of other Jewish people around me. Um, mm -hmm. My my mom is not Jewish. My dad is, um, and I was raised um, more like culturally Jewish, but not not religious. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I always kind of questioned, like, am I Jewish enough? And there was this fear of being rejected by um, the Jewish community if I were to claim that. But then there was also mm. this fear of, well, if I do claim that, I'm going to be rejected by the people who are not Jewish. And I think that that's a very similar experience for people with ADHD, right? Like, am I ADHD enough? Is this real? Yeah. Is this valid? And kind of questioning that. Um, and yeah, it, it just really matches um, what I've always felt was like my difficulty with identity um but but kind of seeing that overlap has just been very interesting yeah oh gosh i i can see laura on video obviously you can't and, <laughs> <laughs> but she just she just had a reaction you want to share laura i just yeah <laughs> um as i said earlier i don't have a formal diagnosis of adhd i um I think also in line with what Ash was saying earlier about like labels and boxes. I'm someone who's mm -hmm. been diagnosed and misdiagnosed uh, in a cycle from a very early age. Um, and I am, I am someone who went on um, various medications for various neurodivergencies as a young child. And this I, I I noticed as I started to take more ownership and understanding of my own process and my own identity um, and just of my mental health as a whole, I learned that um, I, those labels that I once, I mean, I, I think I was in sixth grade when I like all but bullied a psychiatrist into giving me a label that didn't fit because I needed it. I needed to understand what, what was going on in my head. And I thought that would help me. Um, and I think had it been the right label, maybe it would have, um, but I, I just, I'm someone who, you know, I identify as like neurodivergent without giving much else, like much more of an explanation. I am a member of the LGBTQ community. I choose to use queer as a label because of its larger, ambiguous, can mean a lot of different things nature. Um, I tend to really run from that box um, that labels can give, but then I also find that in conversations like these and in moments like what you just said, Alita, about like um, just not being ADHD, ADHD enough, enough yeah. right, is where Ash yeah. saw that reaction and we were having a conversation off mic maybe yesterday or earlier this week um, where I, in when I initially shared with Ash that I just did not have um, that formal diagnosis and wasn't sure of how much space to take in this conversation, they said, like, <laughs> you've got something. <laughs> and, it was and it was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't have that formal diagnosis. So mm -hmm. I find that I am resonating with so much and craving community that I think I might be able to find with I think what a, a formal diagnosis could bring to me would also be like mm -hmm. feeling like I get to participate in the conversation mm -hmm. where I have 
my natural and professional inclination is to take a back seat and create that space. I feel like I'm gatekeeping myself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I think you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ash has been very clear that I'm more than welcome to join the conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, go ahead, Olivia. Oh, no, sorry. I'm actually, my earbuds are dying. Um, so I'm going to switch to my speaker. Um, I just need a minute. Go, yeah, go ahead. You know, I, what, when Alita gets back to us, I would love to talk about sort of the intersection of ADHD, Jewishness, and food. Uh, because mm. I think that, you know, of course, there's a very specific and um, intense, I think, is the right word, Jewish relationship with food and love and care and tradition and all of that. And at the same time, if you have ADHD, your relationship with food tends to be pretty complicated in lots of different ways, of course, because everyone's individual, but it usually has an impact there. Uh, and then, of course, there's also the potential intersection of weight stigma there. And, you know, we have a whole our next episode actually is going to be on weight stigma in the Jewish community. So, you know, we don't have to go into that too much, but I but I do think it's a relevant intersection as well. Um, and yeah, I, I would just love to, to hear your thoughts on that, Alita. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wish you could see my face, facial expression right now. I feel like I just have like these like fireworks going off in my brain. Um, sort of, sort of like, wait, why did I not even like think about this? Um, when, yeah, like nutrition, like that's my, my world. Um, and it just kind of made me think about like, oh, maybe that's why like on Passover, I really struggled when like all of the foods are like really bitter and like for me, like texturally um, mm -hmm. not enjoyable. And, yes. uh, and that, is, that is something for, for folks with neuro neurodivergence, right? Like we are hypersensitive to stimulation. Um, and I think I was always like, well, I'm just a picky eater. There's something wrong with me. Um, mm -hmm. And, and feeling like, like you're saying, food is love, um, in, in Jewish culture. And so feeling like I was like somehow like disappointing my family by not being able to like enjoy these foods that are, um, traditional or are like the one connection kind of back to, back to our history. Um, yeah, mm. that all just kind of like just happened in my brain. So yeah. still kind of piecing it together. <laughs> well, Thank glad you for that processing yeah. it live with us. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. There's not been a single Pesach that's gone by that I have not rejected horseradish or maror. <laughs> and yes. then every single person at the family table questions it mm -hmm. as though I don't reject it every year. So it's just a very, <laughs> I really yeah. resonated with what you were saying, Passover specifically, like the yes. horseradish oh. comes around and I... Yeah, I like spicy food. It's not that. It's something else. It's I don't know. No, it's the it's the sensation that horseradish creates in the mouth and the throat for me. I, it's not even about the flavor because I like spicy stuff too. But it's it, and it's different than like, um, you know, like a pepper. Like it, it's just it's a different mm. kind of sensation. It, it like tickles my throat and I hate it. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> And to the point where I think I have some level of allergy to it or intolerance to it um, now. And I think I may have created that for myself. Like I actually, like, 
I, it's, I, I have to believe it is because I, at this point, like anything with horseradish, including like wasabi for sushi, I may have created such an aversion for myself that like the hives that I get on my chest might actually be psychosomatic, psychosomatic. Than, like, actual, like, oh my I gosh, think I may have done this to myself. I love that. What a Jewish thing to say. My God. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm curious, yeah, I guess to hear like some of the other the other ways that you all have seen that crossover um between ADHD, nutrition, and um and Jewishness. Yeah, I mean I, I think for me, again, you know, next episode's the weight stigma episode, but weight stigma is a part of my story, so it's relevant. Um, you know, I think for me, I didn't realize how much of my food behaviors were about avoidance and executive dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, and, and texture and, um, you know, just different things that weren't about changing my body because from such a young age, my food behaviors were associated with my larger body. And so, you know, it, it was like, it, it became such a, an intense association that it wasn't until like, I really recovered from that, that I was able to see like, Oh, I have issues with these foods that have nothing to do with like fear of weight gain or fear of my body changing or fear of unhealthiness or whatever. Right. Um, it was really that like, I didn't like the texture or I didn't, you know, whatever it was. And because of that, I think this was the other piece of it. I realized that I probably wasn't eating enough as a kid. And so then I would binge, but then the binge was associated with my fatness and it was pathologized. And so it became this like really Mm -hmm. vicious cycle where the food avoidance wasn't even noticed. Like it, 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 and in reality, the food avoidance was the thing that started the cycle in the first place, but I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of like this predisposition for undernourishment was actually feeding like more of those disordered behaviors. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm also struggling to find things that I liked to eat. I remember I had a, <laughs> this is such a, a visceral memory. So at a certain point in time, again, I, I, I was larger growing up and very stigmatized in my household for it. And so I was always being pushed to eat um, plant-based foods, right? Because <laughs> that those are the quote unquote good foods. Yeah. And so I had a moment in time where the mandarin orange cups, they were my favorite. I loved them. One summer when I was in South Carolina, all I ate was fucking mandarin. I'm looking at Laura's <laughs> face. I'm feeling like, like she's no, I'm just having story. a, sh- I'm having, I'm having a sugar-free jello flashback. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was like obsessed with these mandarin oranges and my mom, who, God bless, she, you know, didn't do the best in a lot of areas. But she said to me, she goes, Ashley, if you keep eating them. And I was eating, like, multiple in a day. Like, for my whole meal, it was just mandarin oranges. <laughs> and she's like, Ash, like, I, I get that you like them. That's great. But you're not going to like them if you keep eating them for every single freaking meal. And I was like, no, mom. No, I like them. They're great. <laughs> and, then, and then by the end of the summer, I wouldn't touch a mandarin orange again. <laughs> She was on to something. <laughs> and funny enough, she's the parent I think has ADHD. Mm-hmm. So I think there was something to it. Like, like she intuitively understood. Um, but 
yeah, it was really interesting. And I also, my mom used to say that I was a picky eater. My sister too. Um, but I used to laugh at her. I was like, I'm not a picky eater. I eat whatever I want. But then looking back, I'm like, no, Ashley, like you, you're a picky eater. Like, but it's not because like, it's not that typical picky eater that you think of like, oh, I don't like this swath of food. I love food, but there are certain things, even like, like chicken, for example, chicken sometimes has a texture that I do not like, Mm -hmm. and I don't want it, but I like chicken. It's not like I don't like chicken. It's just like, if it has that texture where like, it's not chewing properly, I want to vomit. (laughs) Wow. I resonate. This might be what I resonated most with in this entire conversation. And I resonated with a lot. There's that one specific chicken texture, y'all. I'm just. (laughs) Yeah. Or if like the temperature isn't, isn't. Yes. Right. I think like a lot of like OCD um, traits can show up in that. Like, no, it has to be Mm. this perfect temperature or. It doesn't taste right. Um, Just right OCD. I think that, yeah, absolutely. And that's something with OCD too. I mean, I don't know um, how much, uh, you know, experience you have with OCD, Alita, but um, for me, like I've really noticed how much OCD shows up in my life. And again, I just didn't see it because I think it was masked by all this other bullshit. Uh, and it's funny because I feel like, you know, if you look at the statistics, there's a, a pretty, like almost like a disproportionate percentage of people who are in the therapy field who are Jewish. And mm-hmm. yet our community mm-hmm. is so undereducated on mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. It, it is fascinating. Um, and, and a conversation that I've had with my parents, right? Like we, we learned that like the people who um, created so many of the concepts in, in psychology are like old white Jewish men. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, when it comes down to actually being the person who is um, abnormal, not typical mm-hmm. um, when there's something wrong, right? Like that that's suddenly not okay. Like, um, it's almost like it's okay to be in the expert seat, but not to be in the patient seat, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Absolutely. Exactly yeah. What it feels I, like, yeah. Absolutely. I also wonder how much there is a, there is a overarching trope inside and outside of the Jewish community of Jews as anxious <laughs> Oh, I think we lost your audio for a second. Oh, wait. Sorry. Yeah. I. Okay. Do you have me back? Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Sorry um, but yeah, that. Jews as anxious hypochondriacs. Yeah. <laughs> I know <laughs> <where> we're going. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No. Inside and outside of the Jewish community, there is a trope of Jews as anxious hypochondriacs. Like we'll mm-hmm. often make our own jokes within. I've heard people make jokes about like, oh, like that's you're cold and hot at the same time. That's just the Tuesday being Jewish. Like, and it's just like, yes, those things exist, but how many, how many hypersensitivities to sensations, sensory issues, how much has been downplayed within our own community in the name of this trope? How many issues have not been taken seriously when communicated about, but are instead joked about and this is a this is a trope this isn't some obscure trope this shows up in the jewish mother right i'm using quotes but like in the jewish mother that shows up in a a tv show or a movie is like that anxious 
worrying often mother. Um, and that's, and that's, I think, I think that's led into a lot of what we're talking about here. I think it's very possible that a lot of very real sensory experiences um, or like what Ash was discussing, um, sensory experiences surrounding food as well may have easily been dismissed in that mentality. Yeah. 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 It makes me think too about like the willingness to express discomfort um as as sort of part of the Jewish experience. Mm -hmm. Um like my mom is very quiet with her emotions. My dad is very loud um with his emotions and it is sort of a way of um of connecting, right? And so I wonder if there's a part of it that like we are we're more vocal about those things rather than just hiding them, pretending like they don't exist. Um, that then is experienced as hypochondriac, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's this strange dichotomy too, because I agree. I, I think there is an, an intense expressiveness within mm -hmm. the community, right? But then there's a lack of addressing the problems, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right? It's like we're all yelling and no one's doing anything. <laughs> yep. Ooh, did we just sum up the entire Jewish experience in one sound bite? We're all yelling and no one's doing anything. That's, yeah. that's, that's a bit on the nose. uncomfortable that's we are. Something in me. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, that actually feels like a really great place to, to kind of wrap up. Um, but this was such a really wonderful conversation, Alita. We would love to have you on in the future, you know, for any episodes mm. that you feel like you can lend your voice to. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate um, yeah, being invited to be a part of this conversation. And it's given me so much to think about. And I'm excited to I love that. Yeah, do a little more um, reflection. We love that. Alita, before you hop off the call, um, can you let everyone know where to find you and your work? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have a private practice. Um, it's called Wise Heart Nutrition. Um, so you can find me online at wiseheartnutrition.com. And on Instagram, um, that's where like most of my ADHD content is. Um, and it's great the, content, by the way, the, uh, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, great content. Oh, Go follow. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm there at um, the underscore ADHD underscore RD. Um, and I have a group program for ADHDers um, that, yeah, is hopefully turning into a membership. And Amazing. maybe I'll have more people in it. Yeah. That's very exciting. And Alita, we'll be sure to add um, your website as well as your Instagram handle to the show notes. Um, and additionally, to anyone listening, you can join Alita's mailing list for info and updates about upcoming groups, workshops, and online courses related to food, eating, and ADHD. Alita, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Yeah, thank you. I'm still getting used to the whole like letting someone in to talk and letting them out, but I think I did that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are on a steep learning curve. <laughs> so steep. Um, so, Laura, I'm looking at the time. We do need to wrap up soon, but I did want to just give us both an opportunity to, to debrief a little bit. Did any, it seemed like a lot. I was going to say, did anything come up for you? But no, it seems like a lot <laughs> came up for you. <laughs> Me having real time realizations and making 
expressions on camera never um but i yeah y'all will have to check out um some youtube clips from this episode on ash's youtube channel because i definitely had was making some faces um probably more than any other episode um yeah no a lot came up for me i um wish that my therapy session had not been earlier today and instead was tomorrow but we'll debrief next week i think that there's a lot of um conversation for me to have and reflection for me to do surrounding my own idea my own ideas of neurodivergency and my own relationship with formal and self-diagnosis um and how that's shown up not only for me personally but also um the ways i've seen systems fail people professionally and um you know i think that that always leaves me in a very uncomfortable place um and i think that that discomfort is worth exploring absolutely it's worth exploring Mm-hmm. And how about for you, Ash? How is this episode for you? How was this conversation? Was yeah, it was just great. I love that Alita was like, you know, I'm having a, epiphanies all over the place. <laughs> I loved it. Um, because I think that is kind of what we wanted this to be, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm, I'm coming to every episode knowing really what we're going to talk about or the answers to the questions that we have, you know, I think we're just putting it out there and, and seeing what, what arises. And I don't know kind of magical I like it absolutely like something that anyone listening should know is that our our we have a planning meeting and then our planning doc that comes out of that planning meeting is like three bullets of maybe like five words each maximum that are just general ideas of topics we might like to touch on this episode and so far each episode has been um so beautifully shaped by the real-time realizations that we're having as we have conversations and the insights that the guests that we have on the pod um, bring to us and hopefully in the future um, that people call in and bring even more insights into um, these conversations. I think that that's a really beautiful and organic thing. And one of the things that's honestly so exciting about the sheer nature and format of this podcast Definitely. And, and just a call in in general, you know, I, I think it is mm-hmm. a really innovative um, app and I'm not being paid to say that. <laughs> yeah, quite literally. <laughs> quite literally. Um, but, you know, in any case, today's episode was really robust and I think there's, you know, a lot for us to percolate on and really think about and, and return to at a certain point. Um, so I'm really excited, you know, to see, to see where that goes and what else comes up as, as we think. Absolutely. Um, And we hope that this conversation was at the very least validating for those of you listening. We are with you. We remain with you. I know it's something I say towards the end of every episode, but that's really why this space exists is to um, hear and validate different experiences within Jewish mental health. Thank you so much for joining us to Kvetch today. Uh, Next week, we'll be talking about weight stigma in the Jewish community, as I mentioned, at 7 p.m., on February 24th, and episode recordings will be posted tonight for today, and uh, or tonight in the call and app, excuse me. Uh, and like we said, there will be some additional uh, listening options coming up soon, so keep an eye out for that. Absolutely, and you can keep up with me and Ash directly through our various platforms. For me, that is 
at the Healing Happy Cook on Instagram, and you can access my Instagram community through my profile on the Call In app as well. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and most of the socials at Badash Therapy, and on my website at AshleyMsteria.com. Uh, all information will also be provided in the comment section of the episode, as long as I remember to do it, because I forgot last time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we can retroactively add those, is the we good news. We can. We certainly can. Another uh, major thank, thank you. you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to thank one more time. Um, yes. Alita added so much to tonight's conversation, so I just wanted to make sure we thank her one more time. Absolutely. And also a big thank you to January Sunshine for all the music that we play, uh, our jingle in the intro, and also our jingle at the end. So we're going to go out with that, and we'll say good evening, and then we'll hop off. Good night, everybody. Good night, y'all.